0: All supporters want to see players wear their heart on their sleeves and give everything yep. to their football club. Kevin Keegan was a manager that wore his heart on his sleeve and everyone saw that as a weakness. We warm up, just me and him. So as we we, we start jogging, he, he stops and he says, look, I just want to say, I, 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 I can't thank you enough for letting me have the number nine shirt. I said, listen, mate, not, not to worry, it's done. And he went to me, I would have come no matter what number it was anyway. <laughs> you know what oh, I Right, it's lovely. <laughs> your move into the ballroom, you've got your badges, you've got
1: yourself in a position where coaching can be available to you. Why, why did you choose not to? Because I didn't think I'd get an
0: opportunity as a manager. That's the honest truth.
1: This is Upfront with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So with this podcast with William Hill, I'm going to get people with strong views who think they can stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way. And more importantly, So might you. Joining me in today's episode, a striker whose career spanned two decades across 10 different clubs, 149 Premier League goals along the way, he was part of the great entertainers from the Kevin Keegan era at Newcastle, whilst he became a cup winner with Tottenham Hotspur, before, more recently, turning his attention from the pitch to the boardroom at Queen's Park Rangers. Les Ferdinand, welcome to Upfront. Nice to see you, Les. Did I imagine this, or did... Did I talk to you or did we talk to you in 2004 about coming to Palace? No. You went to Bolton in 2004, didn't you? That's right, yeah. yeah. And I was under the impression that we'd had a chat with you no. about coming to Palace. No, not at no? all. It's
0: okay. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, the oh, stuff, oh, stuff of myth. I oh, would oh, have probably stayed in London if that was the case. Oh, really? but I um, know. Okay. Like, no. Uh, well, we missed out. Then, that didn't conversation we. Didn't, didn't happen out. at all. Um, Les, when we have these
1: conversations, one of the first things that we do of whoever it is, whether it's a footballer or a boxer or a cricketer or a tennis player, is get a little bit of understanding of their journey and how they got to where they got to. Now, yours is born in Acton, um, born in the shadow or lived in the shadow of... Can I just change that? Not in Acton. I was never born in Acton. I was born in uh, Labrador. Ladbroke, right? oh, much nicer. Much more <laughs> it wasn't back then. Was it not? Okay. <laughs> it back um, but born within the shadow of Grenfell Towers, which obviously over the recent years and times has been the subject of a lot of, of publicity about the conditions of that particular environment. Mm. Um, was it always football for you? Was it always going to be football? And was football something, besides obviously this family dynasty that we now know about with your yeah. cousins and so
0: and so forth, was it a family background or was it something that you just alighted upon yourself? It was something I lighted upon myself and probably not believing that I was going to be a professional footballer. Why? I, w- I was never allowed to go to football. I was allowed to play football, but I was never allowed to go and watch football. Why? Uh, my, f- my parents had an idea of football being a racist environment and a place okay. that would be difficult for me to go right and be safe. So, so for that's that, the early 70s, yeah? Yeah. So yeah. that's for that reason, when my dad came over to this country, obviously there was... He, Grew up in Labrador Grove, and you, you talk about Grenfell Estate. Mm. That's where I spent majority of my life growing mm-hmm. up um, on on the Grenfell Estate. Um, my dad and his brothers and and you know used to have problems with Teddy Boys and skinheads right. and stuff like that. Yeah. So, and I suppose back in the seventies, uh, you know, football was notorious for having skinheads. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there were there wasn't it wasn't an environment where my fa- my family thought I would be safe to go to. So, so then how does that progress for you? So. How that progresses for me doesn't mean I don't like playing football. Yeah. So I'm playing in, in in my school teams. I'm playing, you know, in the playground with my, my mates. And then, you know, on the estate that I lived on, we we formed a a, a little five-a-side team. That was we probably had the first female uh, manager, uh, a, a woman called Annie Mills, who um used to take us because we were a group of boys. Used to just take us to play football. Um, we enrolled in 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 a league, and we used to just play. Uh, on a sunday on a friday uh five a side and, and and that's where the love of the game sort of like started for me but it it
1: evolves isn't it mm-hmm. and you then go into non league football yeah why was the direction for you not an opportunity with a professional club and you go into
0: non league stuff at the time we was uh you know I was, I was in the same class as Dennis Wise at school Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, you learnt more than Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the same class as Dennis at school, and um, Dennis was what was on, he like at school? A bloody pest. He was a bloody pest, but he was a, a fantastic footballer. Yeah. And he was on the, he was on the books of Southampton. Yeah. You came through non-league. Mm. Do you think it gave you a head start in terms of having the mental appreciation to know what the real world looks like, rather than the football world? Hundred percent. And I know that for, for for the fact that when I went into when I went into Queens Park Rangers, there were a couple of boys that were. Perhaps not being given pro contracts that were going, yeah, I'll go and play non-league football and I'll I'll, I'll do this job or I'll do that. I'm not saying, chaps, you seriously don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You really don't want to do that. You're you're in an unbelievable position, position at the yeah. moment. Don't throw that away mm-hmm. to, to go and do what I've just come come from doing. I'm telling you. And you know, it, it took me a little while to, to 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 adjust to to being a professional footballer. Did it also make you um, more appreciative? of the
1: elite opportunities because it feels to me like sometimes I watch Marcus Rashford these days walking around like fucking impending doom is happening to mm. him and the world is a wonderful place to be a professional footballer. Yeah. It's a huge opportunity. Do you think it made you have a bit more humility because it's, it's one of those things that goes hand in glove with you. People talk about you in a way, you know, he's a very genial fellow. He's a very polite fellow. The rumor has it that you're the only fella at Tottenham Hotspur that would pick his kit up and put it, in the box, rather than leave it for the kit man to pick up. Do you think that was part of what shaped, or was it that personality just there anyway?
0: I think I think part of that was just shaped from what who I am and what I am and what I was grown up at what I grew up with with my parents, with mum my, my and dad, and it was about having respect for people. That was that was always the case. But I certainly believe um, doing what I did and going into what I seen what I saw as a, a privileged situation, being a professional footballer yeah you're right it made me a bit more humble made me a little bit more appreciative of what what where i was and what i had you know it's, it's like anything if you if you're if you grow up in an environment where you're privileged yeah so you know you get used to it mm. and some of these boys who come through football clubs who come as apprentices and never see the outside world well, all they have is that privilege yeah. so it's, that's their norm that's what they know that's what they understand so you know you speak about Rash- rashford and yes you know, I, I agree he's walking around like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders at the moment. Um, I'm not realizing that he's causing a load of those problems mm-hmm. himself. But that's been his environment since he was the age of seven. And no matter what his family have gone through, that's his reality. Mm-hmm. I say to my kids all the time, you know, you ain't gone through what I've had to go through. Your life has been mm-hmm. very, very different to mine in the way that you've grown up. Um, but I can't change that because that's what I've done it Is what It is Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Do you look at this
1: generation of footballers and look at the the pathway that you came through and look at the the opportunities and the world that they live in and think that they don't really get it that they're getting it a lot easier than possibly your generation did your brand of player did
0: and they're getting far too much far too soon you know and I I remember having this con- had having this conversation with Ian Wright and we were t- we were talking and I said right how long was it be- before you became a millionaire and he spoke about the, the, the times at Palace, the, the yeah. goals, the games at Palace. Previously Dalich Hamlet into yeah. Palace, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he goes on to, to, to Arsenal, Arsenal and then he, he scores, has to score 20-odd goals a couple of time, a couple of seasons before he, he gets that million-pound contract. Mm-hmm. I said, the difference is you've got kids that are million, millionaires who've never played in the first team. That's their reality, yeah you know, so they ain't having to work too hard
1: to get what they've got. I often think that if you give people too much too soon, it takes away a lot. That's why I think about the characters. We see maybe the game's changed and it doesn't allow for so many characters. But I think that side of things takes away people's ability to overcome adversity, their preparedness to to do things that they don't want to do. And that, for me, I think affects
0: the game and doesn't make it a better place. That was probably the hardest thing for me um, as a director of football. Yeah. See him, People not appreciating where they are, what they've got, and how much of it they've got, thinking that this is the norm mm. and not having to fight and work hard to, to 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 get what they've got. That
1: was one of my major bugbears with Ian Wright. Um we used to be quite good mates, but not so much these days. Um <laughs> but I asked him to come and do some um striker training at Palace when I was there. Mm. And you know, get Ian Wright to do some striker training with the players, they're gonna fall over themselves, aren't yeah. they? And just Ian, just do you know, they, some of them are young kids. Don't drive in on a Ferrari. That doesn't help <laughs> me. In comes the Ferrari, <laughs> you know. Um, but, but here we are. Um, stepping up from non-league to QPR, I
0: mean, how how difficult was that? At the time, I didn't realise how difficult it was. And um, you go from sort of like buying Match Shoot magazine and yep. looking, at, looking at these, you know, reading these things and then all of a sudden you're in it. You're in it. And then you're in an environment of, I mean, when I, I the first game well <laughs> always remember this, I was, I, I, I was going to work my notice at the, 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 place I was working at Okay, um, and there was a game during the week, uh, QBR versus Southampton at mm-hmm. Southampton. And I had to ask for the time off so I could go and play in the game, right. um, because I honor, I honor my, my contract. Obligations, yeah. And my obligations. So yeah. I was like, I was going to work my notice. Most people would have said to them, we talked about them off. Well, that says but a lot about you. I turn up, I, I turn up at Loftus Road, I go, the, the coach is outside. The first person that walks out to greet me and, 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 and says, welcome and good luck was Sammy Lee. And I've never, oh, ever really? forgot that. He was the first person that um came out, shook my hand, played that first game. And I always remember getting smashed in the game by Jimmy Case. And, um, of course, yeah. I mean, uh, you, you know about Jimmy and. Jim, of course. You know, um, and anyway, mm. he, he tackles me, and I, I remember crumpling on the floor. And he says, "Welcome to professional football, young man." And that was my introduction to uh,
1: to keep you up. Joe Francis talked about you didn't he and and about your abilities and about the fact that he felt that you could be an England player and you said I can't even get in the fucking team <laughs> how'd, you, how'd you see that one yeah. was he I mean I knew Joe Francis obviously because when I grew up as a Palace fan and then I watched his career obviously as he developed and, and became a manager and under his t- tutelage at QPR they did significant things
0: yeah. but how important for you was Joe Francis you know people often say to me you know who, you, who of all the managers you worked under who was the, who was the, the best Gordon and I, and I think Different managers come at different times in in your career that help mm-hmm. you. Trevor Francis was mm. um was was quite pivotal as well because Was he? He what he did, he gave me my first opportunity. He right. gave me my first real opportunity and I scored against Chelsea. Right. Um I scored two goals against Chelsea and I thought I'm on my way here. And then, as you said, Jerry came in. He said to me, Look, I've tried to sign you at Bristol on, on numerous occasions, I tried to sign you, I tried to take you online, they wouldn't let wouldn't let me do it. He said I oh, see so you playing for England, and as I said, as you just said there, spring. I can't even get in this fucking team at the moment. Am I going to play for England? Do you know what I mean? And, and then, and um, uh, he goes, "I'm telling you now, you'll play for England." So I said, "Okay, no problem." And so he was absolutely pivotal in terms of my career at QPR mm. and, and and taking me to a level. And I probably stayed at QPR longer than was probably right for me. Yeah. But like the reason I did that was because each your relationship year with Jerry. each year I felt I was learning off of right. Jerry. Yeah. And I thought that the, and I always said that the minute I felt i stopped learning was the time to 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 move on. So you're now at a stage, you've
1: been at QPR for six years. You've you said yourself that probably with the benefit of hindsight, you stayed a little bit longer than you should have done. And that's primarily because your relationship with Jerry Francis. And now you make a move and you take a move. But before you get this move to Newcastle, I understand you had an opportunity to go to Man United, mm-hmm. and that Ray Wilkins was kind of blocked that or had something to do with stopping it. Which kind of is, <laughs> is ironic, given
0: he played for Man United. Is there any truth in there? Yeah. Well, what basically happened was um, I get I get a call from uh, a Razor one Sunday, and he says and he says to me, um, "Look, I've been on the phone with Sir Alex, and um, they want to sign you." Uh, and he said, look, you've done everything you can do at QBR. Yeah. He said, "Um, his, his words to me were, when the best team in the land comes calling, you've got to go. Yeah. So I said, okay. He said, look, they've tried to sign you before. And QBR always said, at the end of the season, at the mm-hmm. end of the season, which is too late. So um, he said, look, what's going to happen tomorrow? You're going to get, uh the club's going to get a fax. I'll let you know, and then you can speak to the chairman. And this is exactly what happened. The next day a fax comes in speak to the chairman who was then at the time, Richard Thompson. And he, he turned around, and he said, um, I said, ah, oh, chairman, I understand you've had a, an offer from Man United. And he said, oh, do you know? And I said, well, one of the secretaries yeah. at the club have, have told me. He said, which one? I said, I ain't gonna tell you Wait, that. What were you thinking at this time? Are you thinking fucking Man United? And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? And, and so anyway, uh, he says to me, okay, do you want to go? And I said, Chairman, do you know, what I mean, there's not many clubs in the in the land that would go right halfway yeah. through the season. I'm going to leave for, but you know, I mean, this this might be an opportunity yeah. it never comes around again. Mm. So he says, "No, I get that." He said, "Let me speak to Jerry." All right, let me let me speak to Jerry. He speaks to Jerry, and Jerry says, "Well, I'm going to resign." Right. So anyway, he goes to he goes to he comes back to me and he says, "Look, I have got some bad news. Jerry's going to resign." And he says, "And I can't lose my 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 manager and my star centre forward in the same in, conversation in the, in, in the same week." Mm. So I said, "Okay, I get that."
1: Anyway, it happened. That's a difficult one for you though, isn't it? it We've really- got this relationship with Jerry. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're this is the biggest club in English football. This yeah. is the club that's now got its engine started, right? Exactly. And, and is winning the Premier and League firing, and off it's going. Yeah. yeah and, and and Jerry's sort of
0: putting a kibosh on it. Yeah. Now must have been a bit of a conflict for you. Now the truth is, Jerry never said to me, if you go, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave. It's, yeah. it's what he told the chairman. Right. So, anyway. He, so, you're not privy to that So part. I'm, not, I'm not privy to that part. Yes. And, um, anyway, uh, Jerry resigns. Chairman calls me up, says, Look, there's, uh, Jerry's going, blah, 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 blah. you know, basically, we, we need to do something. And he says, Um, I've got, I've got a bit of a plan. Oh, I'm going to see if this plan comes to fruition. If it does, it might pave the way for you going. So, he goes in and he speaks to, he says, I think, I'm thinking about getting Ray back. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, all right, brilliant. I said, because the sport was, a loved Ray. Um, as a player mm-hmm. uh, and as a man at QBR, so mm-hmm. it'd be an ideal shoe-in for Jerry. So anyway, he comes back and he says to me, that, you know, about a week or look, 10 days later, he comes back, he says, look, I've got some, some good news, and bad news. He says, Ray's agreed to come back. I said, fantastic. The, the fans will love. <laughs> <The fans all laughs> love that. He said, but he'll only come back on one condition, is that, you, um, that we don't sell you. And I go, what are you talking about? Because I'm all thinking, right. this is the geezer that's called me and all said, right. You know, you're going. So anyway, Ray comes through the door, knock on his door, So Ray, what's you know what's going on here? He says, Son, I've taught you the most important lesson in life. So, what's that? He said, You always look after number one first. Mm. Never fell out with him. Right. Um, respected the decision. I'm I'm and I'm a, I'm a firm believer. Mm. That's what meant what's meant to be in life will be. I've always lived my life that way. And so it I It must have been I mean I mean that's a nice way to look at it. Um, that's that's the only only way I could look at it really that's the only way I could look at it because otherwise what you're going to do you're going to throw your toys out the brand. because that's what they
1: do yeah that's what footballers do at times I mean you must have been a real exceptional um, individual to have not done that you've got the biggest club in English football that's kicking ass and taking numbers now yep that's alive and thriving yep Um, and and I just imagine the commercial benefits and economic benefits to you would have been significant as well wasn't thinking about that well Okay. So you move you move to Newcastle at the end of the season. Yep. So Ray gets you for another four or five months and ultimately then QPR get a decent fee, six million quid, 95, not bad though, is it?
0: No. What was it about Newcastle that attracted you? Newcastle fans are like Liverpool p- fans right. in terms of if you go there and you play well, They'll, they'll love you. They'll clap yeah. your team off the pitch yeah. if they feel like mm. you've given their, their, their team a good good seeing to or you, if you've played well against mm. their team they'll, they'll clap you off they'll appreciate your football. Um, I didn't know I was going to go to Newcastle but then when Keegan called up and mm. I had a conversation with him and he told me where they wanted to take the club uh, what they wanted to do um, I felt if there was anyone I was going to learn from and, and, and become a better player it, it was going to be him. What was your take on Kevin? It was a centre forward's dream mm. uh, we was all out of tack and, you know, when people talk about the tacti- tactics and we didn't, our, our tactics, where you score two, we'll score three, mm. you score one, we'll score two. Um, and I think that works and that worked for us for a long period in the season. But I think to win the Premier League at times, you need to win a game one nil yeah. and just be, grind it out. and grind it out yeah. and we weren't able to do that. Um, and does that come down to tactical awareness? Probably, uh, probably mm. a little bit of that, but because we we'd, we'd Done so well on the front foot. Yeah. We just, you know, just felt we would get back to that and we would do that and we'd do that. But eventually, you know, you, you come unstuck and that's what happened to us.
1: This team, this Newcastle team, that everybody, they were almost like everyone's second team, weren't they, because of the brand of football. Yeah. Everyone was willing them on.
0: Bottled it? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Bottom line, yeah. Yeah. You know, when when when, when you take away everything, um, and, and and skin it all back. Yeah, that's what we did. You know, that's that's the bottom line. We bottled it in the end. Is there any? I
1: mean, I understand that you lose a, a few games on 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 the, in a row, which then unwinds the psychology. But is there any ever a time when a casual response or, or a blase response is actually a way to manage a situation rather than
0: panic into it? Well, we probably we probably felt that. We probably felt that, you know, losing that. Look, look, let's not panic. Yeah, all right, we've lost. We know we can play a lot better than that. Let's not panic. And that's probably where we where we were as a group. I mean, we we looked at each other and felt we're good enough as a group of players. And that was probably where we, you know, where you say is 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 a point where you don't take it too seriously. When I say don't take it too seriously, you don't you don't look into it too Mm -hmm. much. You just go right, okay, yeah, right, we've lost that. But let's we talk about the casual, blasé nature,
1: potentially with the hindsight. Kevin's wasn't, though, in that interview, was it? That was a that was a rant. Yeah. That wasn't someone being blasé. That was no. someone being
0: affected. Yes. All supporters want to see players wear their heart on their sleeves and give everything yeah. to their football club. And they can live with the rest, can't they? Yeah. Most of the time. Kevin Keegan was a manager that wore his heart on his sleeve and everyone saw that as a weakness because they felt Alex Ferguson had won the psychological games because he had that rant, mm. but Kevin was just someone who wore his heart on his sleeve and had to let people know what, how he felt. And so when when we saw it, yeah. we 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 actually didn't see it until we got home, played Leeds and then forget it. And then at the end, you saw the rant by Kevin Keegan, and and mm. we went in the next day, and all, all the boys were saying all the time was would love it. We'd love it if you mm. did this, and and yeah. no one saw it as a weakness in Kevin right. at the time. I, you know, I don't think there was a player in the, in the squad at the time that saw it as a weakness. We just saw because we knew Kevin, we just mm. saw it as him wearing his heart on his sleeve. Um, but everybody else started to go, "Ah, oh, mm. Fergie's won a psychological battle," and and, and just sort of like embedded into us. And um, we, as you said, in the end, at the end of the day, you know, the cold light of day, the word that you used, "Did we bottle it?" was probably the right word. Yeah, we bottled it. You've just smashed in
1: twenty nine goals. You've got the gravitas of being, you've understood what it was like for Malcolm McDonald, what it was like for Jackie Milburn. You get the dynamics of what it's like to be a <laughs> Newcastle centre forward. Alan Shearer walks through the door and you're, here you go, mate, here's my number nine shirt. How's that work? I've been
0: quite going like that. Well, tell me yeah, how I'm quickly I like that. It. So, so basically, um, we, we're we going on pre-season tour. Yeah, uh, We're going to Thailand, to Singapore and Japan. and We're in a airport. Terry McDermott comes running up the escalators after me. He Says a gaffer wants to speak to. you. So I come back down the stairs and I'm, I'm, and he st- Kevin's standing in this little al- alcove. Brings me standing in the alcove and he says to me, um, look, we're going to sign. Um, it looks like we're going to sign Alan Shearer today. World record fee, fifteen million pound. Blah 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 blah. I says okay. He says um, I went brilliant. He goes, I want you to be the first to know. He said because what you're going to do is as soon as we sign them, we're going to hear rumours that you you two can't play together mm. and you're going to be leaving Newcastle. He says, I want you to know, um, I'm not trying to prove anybody wrong. I just believe you two will make a dynamic pairing up front. So whatever you hear, you're not leaving this football club. I said, okay, brilliant. Thanks for letting me know. So I went goat go walk away and I said, that's great. What time is it happening? And he goes, he'll, he'll be joining us on pre-season. I said, okay, brilliant, go walk away. And he turns around and he says to me, "Um, um one, one more thing. I said, what's that? He said, he's asked for the number nine shirt. And I said, what did you say? And he said, well, I said, look, I'll ask Les. He said, it's, it's a hard thing. He's, he scored 29 goals. or so it's a hard thing. But I'll ask him. He said, because I know, you know, he said, but Alan's worn number nine all his life. I went and have I?
1: Yeah,
0: I would to say. <laughs> all this time, I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, he's talking to me and I'm thinking yeah. to myself, I've never stood on the, on the Gallagher and supported the the, the fellow that's worn the number nine. I've never stood on Elisa's end and, and supported the fellow that's worn the number nine. I know Alan's done that. Mm-hmm. He's coming home. But it must have been a part of you just thinking, fuck off. Yeah, no, yeah, right. yeah. There, there was a, there was a part there was a part of me. But then, as as I'm as I'm as I'm going through this with Kevin, I'm thinking about it. And the mere fact that you have come and asked me means you want him to wear the number nine yeah. shirt. He went, no, no, no. He goes, look. He said, you know, obviously he's asked for a few things. He's asked, can he take penalties? So I've had to ask Peter. I said, you just said I was the first player you've told. <laughs> Okay. Right. So, like, I, you say you're smart, yes. isn't it? <laughs> right. So, so we're, we're, we were having this discussion. Yeah. So, anyway, I said, "Listen, mate, you're the you're the manager of this football club. Yeah, you make the decisions. You've come and asked me this yeah. question. You mean means you want him yeah. to have the number nine shirt. That's what you got to do." I took off and I went. I went to. I went to uh, Singapore. So when we land in, in 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 Singapore, obviously all the players know that Alan's signed, and then all of them are saying to me, "You've given up the number nine shirt. Mm. You've given up the number nine shirt." Have you have you sold it to him? I said, I said <laughs> no. He, I, I can't lie. I didn't actually go through the story that I, had, I I had with Keegan. And so um. Read the team sheet out and um they go nine Ferdinand, so I said Terry McDermott says nine Ferdinand Keegan standing she said you taking a piss. He says what? So you taking piss out of me? He are you talking about? So you just said Ferdinand nine? So yeah, he's gone. Yeah I know but and I went. Fucking wearing a number nine shirt. You you've just taken it off me. So, uh, Peter Beardsley. And if you ever see, if anyone ever sees, sees the game, I wear the number eight and Pete, Peter all wears a number nine. Right. Mm. So anyway, um, we play the game and, and, and stuff and then Alan flies over the next day and then um, Keegan says to me, um, I want you to, uh, I want you to go training with Alan. I just to we played the game and we'd done a warm down in the morning. Alan turns up in the afternoon and he says, I want you to go and do a training session with Alan. I said, what are you talking about? So I've trained, I've tried, I played and I've, play, I've, I've trained on. He goes, I just want you two to get to know each other. I said, I've just spent a month with him at fucking Euro 96. Yeah. I don't even know him any more than I, I know him. I know, I know Alan, yeah. we, we get on well. So he says, okay, no problem. Anyway, Alan comes and we we go out and do this this little uh, we training session. But we warm up, just me and him. Uh, we're running around, just a little jog around the pitch to warm up. We're going to do some stretching and some finishing. So as we, we we start jogging, he he stops and he says, "Look, I just want to say, I uh, 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 I can't thank you enough for letting me have the number nine shirt." I said, "Listen, mate, not not to worry, it's done." And he went to me, and then as we started jogging off, he went, "I would have come no matter what number it was anyway." You know I mean? Oh, that, <laughs> right, lovely. <laughs> so so, uh, but you know you, that that right. is just, that is just football banter. He's like, "I would have come whatever number it was," but like mm-hmm. like I said, those those are the things that went through my head. Was we'll Shearer a better striker than you? I think when you look at the, the sheer amount of goals that that mm. Allen scored, you'd have to say he's the, he's the top goal scorer in the Premier League. Um, I always remember Kevin Keegan saying to that's me, "It's not a question, Liz. Let me ask you. Let me, let me let me give it to you another way. So, and that's that's down to people to judge, right? But all well, I'm asking you because you know
1: you you you're a top striker. He was what, a top striker. What, he's a Premier League's record goal scorer. He's at Newcastle. He's got your
0: number nine shirt. Right, he's the world record transfer. I think what happened at the time, right? Uh, the manager said to me before Alan came to, to 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 Newcastle, he said to me, "You can do everything that Alan can do, but Alan can't do everything that Les Ferdinand can do." What did you make of that? Then you tell me. That's what he well, said I'm, to me. I'm asking you what you make of it. So when it came to it. He wanted him to have the number nine, so no. that's that's where it was. Was I better... Uh, his his goals would tell you that Noel wasn't a better go- uh, a striker than him? What do you think? What did I think at the time? I I, I never thought that I wasn't going to play right at Newcastle when when they when they signed Allen. I never ever thought that I wasn't going to play. Does that answer your question? Mm. "Quote unquote," Les Ferdinand says
1: he was a better striker than <laughs> I <this> year. <laughs> uh, but you disappointed? I mean. You're you're you've got the gravitas mm-hmm. of playing at Newcastle. You love playing for the club. Um, you're scoring goals. Your first season was brilliant. Shearer comes in. We've had the conversation about the number nine. You've taken that acceptance. You've then gone on and scored goals in the following season. But now you're you're being sold. Mm-hmm. Were you disappointed to leave Newcastle?
0: The fact that I well, I just had a, a a little a little daughter um, right. and my family down in London. Spurs were the team that supported as a boy this gets me back to London, to the, the, yeah. the team I um I supported yeah. as a boy. So
1: you talked about it being your worst decision, but you also talked about, the, uh, I, from what I can understand is you met Alan. and I've yeah. known Alan Sugar for years and I like Alan. Yeah. He's an acquired taste, but yeah, he's course. also a very, very credible operator. Yes. right, And you kind of believe what he says when he says it. But what was different about what Alan told you to what you experienced? Because I get the impression that, Reading between the lines, that it was well, not reading between the lines. This is your expression. Tottenham were a club
0: in unbelievable turmoil. Yeah. And when I say it was, when I say it was the worst decision, I said it was the worst decision for my footballing career. Right. That the club was, you know, one of the things I, I say to people. Were, when I got there, we were sponsored by Pony, and that was <laughs> quite apt. Right. Okay. That was quite right. apt. But just, why? Now I went to I went to Tottenham, who I would have thought was on a par. Of, uh, with Newcastle in, the ter- in terms of the way they did things and yeah. it wasn't. It was so, so different. In so, what way so different. I mean, they, they, they built their own training ground, a new training ground and it, the changing rooms were like going in the, the, the Hackney Marshes and, I, and I, said, I remember saying to Alan, I said, you've just built your own training ground you've built changing rooms like this and, you know, I walked into the, the, um, the medical room, and that was probably the only room that was the most that was the most comfortable room at, 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 the t- at the training ground. They had about six beds, they had TVs on the thing. No wonder everyone's injured at this football club. Got TVs in the in the in
1: in, mm. more in, com- too in the more comfortable. It was too yeah. comfortable.
0: People reading papers in the in mm. the. Thing. It was just everything about it, the training, everything you know. And Jerry was Jerry was the manager then. Mm. But everything the organisation. I mean, I always remember my first day of training pre pre-season, I walked out. <laughs> There was a group of players in one corner um, doing keepy uppies. There was another group in in another corner over there. There was another few players over there in in the corner over there. And there was we there used to be a a, like a slope, um, and there was a couple of boys lying on the slope, waiting for the managers to come out. And I thought, what the hell have I come to? Too easy, I Thought, what the hell have I come to? You know, I'd been warned. You know, a couple of players had said to me, Les, Tottenham ain't what you think it is. And and to be fair, when I spoke to Alan, he knew it wasn't what he wanted it to be. Right. And he was trying to change that. And he felt someone like myself coming in and the the players might better be Alan had been there but for ten years yeah. by that time, hadn't he? Yeah, but he'd made yeah. a load of changes. Right. He, and he was trying he was trying to change it. How'd you get uh, on with Sugar? Um I always had a lot of respect for Alan. Uh, and I thought I got I got him quite yeah. well. Um I spoke quite highly of him and I, I said where Tottenham is today. I, I felt he put the foundations in mm. place to take it to where it where it is today. I know he had a load of problems with with the late Terry Venables, with and, Venables so yeah, and so yeah, on, yeah. but I think he put the foundations yeah. in place for Tottenham to go to where it is. today.
1: Well, he says what he means, doesn't he
0: yeah, whether you like it or not, yeah, you exactly. Stand up for it, you know where yeah. you stand, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. I'm going to skip past after Spurs. Spurs yeah. finishes you yeah. there six years. It's not a resounding success for you.
0: No. Yeah. By the way, how do you feel about your England career? Um, I felt at my height. Um, you know, Terry Venables had made a decision that Alan Shearer was going to be yeah. his, his number one choice. Alan went, was it? Uh, I think 19 games without scoring. Yeah, two years, wasn't it? You know, without and, and, and never, never really getting the opportunity. And, and and again, it was it was it was kind of strange because every time I came to play or got an opportunity to play, it was almost it almost felt like this was my last chance. And I think, well, hang on a minute, just just afford me the same opportunities mm-hmm. that you afford someone else.
1: We're going to go on to now your move into the boardroom and your relationship with qpr mm. but just out of curiosity, before i do that why didn't you decide to continue you've got you've gone and got your badges mm-hmm. which is a criticism that i have of a lot of players and we're going to get onto that subject about diversity and representation and the statistics behind that but you've got your badges you've got yourself in a position where coaching can be available to you why did you choose not to because i didn't think i'd get an opportunity as a manager just okay. the honest, that's the honest truth. All right. we'll, we'll talk about that in a, yeah. in more detail in a bit okay. a bit later on. But let's talk about the decision to go into because you've got an opportunity now mm-hmm. at QPR, and it's a boardroom opportunity. So it's a position of influence and power. Yeah. And one of the things that 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 is argued about ethnicity being given the opportunity, you've been given it. Why were you given it?
0: Uh simply because I had a conversation with an ethnic minority owner.
1: With Tony Fernandes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, you believe that, dude? By, 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 just by chance. Yeah. Um, I, I was, uh, I was on holiday in, in Bali and, um, uh, at the time my, my friend, a uh, good, really good friend of mine, Tony, um, looked after 50 Cent. 50 okay. Cent was, uh, singing at Tony's, uh, daughter's 20 for, oh, rapping at Tony's yeah. 21st, uh, daughter's 21st birthday. So my mate called me and we was having a conversation. Tony said to me, you talking to? Cause he said, he mentioned Les a few times and he goes, ah, oh, Les, Les Ferdinand. He went. Oh, let me speak to him. So he came on the phone and he said, "Look, we've been trying to bring you back to QPR for a, for a long time." I said, "Well, I'm not the hardest person in the world to get out of town yeah. if you want to speak." Yeah. So we had a conversation. We met up in in Jakarta, mm-hmm. and we had a conversation. He said to me, "Where is it you want to go in in football?" And I said, "Look, I've done uh, the applied management course in in in, in uh, the LMA applied management course, and I said, you know, the director of football is something I've looked at for a while, and thought there's not enough footballers that do this this mm-hmm. position." Um, and it's, it's something I've looked at. I said, I think I will struggle to get a job as a manager um, going forward. So maybe this is uh, an avenue to look down. Well, I mean, what do you think a director of football should be? The, for me, the, the role should all encompass your, you, a manager comes in, into a football club. Yeah. And if you look at the, the, the tenor of a, a, a manager... Should you be appointing the managers? Yes. Yeah, right, you should be, one. you should be part of that process. Right. You, you deal with the finances in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, I had a very good CEO in Lee, Lee Hughes at, at QPR, yeah, I know, Lee. Yeah, yeah. so we worked together in terms of the finances. he told me the numbers that we got to work with. The the, the CFO, Ruben Gandhi, yeah. used to tell me the, the numbers that we got to work with. And that's how we had to incorporate what we did. And we would sit down and say, like, we do it this way, this way, this way, this way, you know, the finance director, I'd say, right, these are the numbers. How can we make this sexy enough for this player to come yeah. to QPR? Right. Um,
1: so it's management recruitment. It's recruitment of players. It's disposable players. Yep. It's
0: meeting budgets. Yep. Style of play. S- style of play. Yeah, you have to have that. In, you know, and, and and when you sit down with the owners, that will go hand in hand with the recruitment and exactly, the management. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's what that's what yeah. you're looking for.
1: Is this all the way down? Is this down in from the first team
0: down into the academy? The into academy it, yeah. into the 18s all the way down. Because what basically happened is when I went into QPR. We we needed to change. We uh, one of the things that we, we we spoke about was we could no longer uh, go out and spend money on on players in the way that they had been in the past. Yeah. Um, when I joined QPR, the wage bill was seventy six or seventy eight million. Yeah, because you cut you well, you come in fourteen
1: fifteen, halfway through. Yeah, and they just got Neil took them up thirteen fourteen. Yep, fourteen fifteen. Harry. It's all over the place, isn't it? Yeah. Harry signing people like Christopher Samba on ridiculous money, all right? And you're coming halfway through, don't you? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so you knew you knew QPR were going to get relegated. You knew they, they had a budget of 70-odd million uh, a year. And at that time, they probably had one asset in the team. Charlie Austin yeah. was the only player, when I went into QPR, that you could probably look at and f- think, because of the wages he was on, which wasn't as much as some of the other guys, mm. that you could sell and make a profit on Charlie Austin. The rest of them weren't going to leave the football club because the wages it's that they were on, yeah. the wages that they were on were were, were were ridiculously high. They weren't going to earn those money that that money anywhere else. So that mm. means you had you had zero assets at your football club. And now we would now I was being told we we need to reject we need to reduce. Did you the have the experience, court. Les, to go into that position? Because it's a big it's a big departure for you, isn't it? No, mm. of course not. Of course, I didn't have the experience. Mm. But what the what the club wanted to do in terms of Start developing from the the academy because that's where they needed to go. Yeah. Um, I felt where like the 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 the, the skill set we to do and that. And, you know. Yeah. But you've got this. Let's have a look at the record. Yeah. Right? As you, as a director of football, mm-hmm.
1: QPR get relegated, mm-hmm. 14th, 15th, 20th. Right, go down. Statistics will tell you most clubs that come down with parachute payments end up going back up within oh. a three year cycle. QPR go 12th. 18th, 16th, 19th, 13th, 9th, 11th, and 20th. Mm. So I think that's about an average position of about 14th or 15th yeah. in the league, which is nowhere near where you'd expect them to be. Right. You're the director of football. Mm-hmm. You're responsible for the recruitment. Mm-hmm. You've got some handcuffs on you economically, yeah. but notwithstanding that, you know you do spend some money, not huge amounts. Right. Um, you've made appointments managers. Mm-hmm how
0: is this successful when i uh, when I went in and, and Harry left Chris Ramsey took over as um uh, interim manager yeah. and what happened was one of the owners asked me do you think Chris could keep us in the championship next season talking we're not we're not talking about promotion we're talking about just keeping us in the championship the reason being is we got a group of players that we need to get out who yeah. on, on big money. And because they knew the fine was coming and all that, they needed to reduce the wage bill. So I said, if you're talking about just keeping you in the championship, I think he's got the capabilities mm-hmm. to just keep you in the championship. Now, where my perhaps naivety was, was not realizing that the amounts of money that the players that were on, that we needed to get rid of was on, that we couldn't get rid of those players. Not only was it the fact that no one was going to buy them, the fact is no one was going to pay their wages. Mm-hmm. So for two seasons, we were just reduced, trying to reduce the wage bill because we needed to get mm-hmm. down b- below twenty million. Mm-hmm. But some of these players weren't going, and the ones that were going, we had to pay to go. Pay up, yeah, yeah. So, in terms of you get the parachute payments, and you think that that parachute payment you can you can invest to get you back up again, we can but do that's it. the
1: same for everyone, though, isn't it? It's the same for every club that gets relegated. They all come down with rotten horrible wage bills that they can't afford. Yeah, in but the most of them
0: have, most of them have got players that can take them back up again, and they just add to it, right.
1: I mean, I'm not, I don't want you to be overly controversial just for controversial sake, but you're the director of football inheriting this. Mm-hmm. You've got a team that's in the Premier League. How can a team go down with no assets whatsoever that have got no value to the club? What Every club that goes down, you know, Southampton go down, out goes Joel, James Ward-Prowse. When I got relegated uh, with Palace... I kept Andy Johnson, but that was the perceived reality was Andy Johnson was going to leave and he didn't. But most of the time, the top players get sold to be able to bridge the gap.
0: QPR has nothing. Like I said to you, Charlie Austin was probably the only one at the time that you could probably sell for any amount of money. With respect
1: to Charlie, all due respect, that's not top end either, was it? But
0: but that's what I'm saying. This is is what you had. So
1: my analysis, in your view, because it is a sweeping analysis and I expect you to rebut it because I look at it and go, if I'm looking at this as my director of football mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm taking in the unique circumstances at QPR and I'm trying to put myself in that situation, but over an eight-year period I've just gone, Les, tell me about this, 12th, 18th, 19th, 16th, 13th, 9th, 11th, 20th. Mm-hmm. This is on your watch. Yes. And I'm saying that doesn't look like success to me. No. Not because I'm trying to be arsehole clever with you, I'm trying to get the flip side of the argument for you to say to me, well, this is the reasons why. And what you're saying is I'm working in an environment where for several years we've got no control of our own destiny yep. economically to be able to change the landscape. I can't change the playing squad because the players that are sat there, and I remember some of the names, yep. um, ain't moving because mm-hmm. no one's going to pay a transfer fee for them and no one's going
0: to pick up the wages even if I let them go on a nothing. Yeah. And, he, and, and, and and they ain't going on a nothing. You have to pay them up. Yeah. As, as you, as yeah, you yeah, spoke about, a million, yeah, and yeah, half, yeah. million and a half million. Yeah. So that money, that parachute money that you're talking about, most of it goes on paying these guys up to get to... to the aren't skin, though, are they are only skint now, aren't they? No, I mean, but you could, but because of the the, yeah, the financial fair play, they're not allowed to put the money into the club. Right, but once they've had the sanction, yeah, but that, that you're still you're still you're still governed by the, the financial fair still play. Got, so you're, ma- so you're so he's still you're, carrying his wages. Yeah, yeah. so you're yeah. making sure that you yeah. you're and you know what, what, Simon, I sit down sometimes and I think, you know what would have been the ideal for QPR to get relegated and get relegated again into League One, really. That would have been the ideal because Why? you would have got rid of those players and the sanctions in the, in, in League One are very different to what they are in, yeah. in, in, in the yeah. Championship. Yeah. In terms of being able to build a side and come back stronger, that probably would have been the best. Start. But we were trying to survive mm. in, the, in, in the Championship. And the owners were saying to me, Les, we just need to survive. We just need to survive. But obviously in my in my head, I, I, I want Cuba to get back to the Premier League. Of course. And what's the best way to do that? Now, in terms of managers coming through the door, Yes, we had we had a very uh, democratic system in, in place. Well, that's what I'm going to ask you next. How much autonomy did you have in making these appointments? So, so what? So what we did was we would we would sit down and we would uh, myself and Lee Hughes would go out and interview yeah. x amount of managers. Yeah. And then we work down. This is the best five. Yeah. And then the owners would come in on the yeah. interviews, and then they would them they would give an, we'd all give an opinion on who we thought was the right one.
1: Okay. So, so on that basis when you were lighted upon, you would have an opinion. Mm-hmm. How many times, because we've got them here, we've got Chris Ramsey, we've got Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. just out of curiosity, two, the first two managers, black managers, Yep. is that your influence? Did you do it on purpose or was it just a circumstance?
0: Circumstance. So Chris right. Ramsey takes over as uh, interim manager when Harry leaves. Yep. Um, after Harry left in February. They um,
1: asked you a question, can he uh, keep in the championship and you vouch for it. And
0: I, I said, Thank yeah. you. so we're, we're in the Premier League at the time, yep. but the next season they asked, can he keep, Can mm. they keep us in the championship? And I said, if it's just keep us in the championship, then I, yeah. he's capable of doing that. I, I really believe that his coaching requirements were, would keep us in the family. But then we couldn't get rid of the players that we thought we were going to be able to get rid of. Right. So all of a sudden we've now got this, still, we've still got this massive wage bill. We've still got these massive players. And then one of the owners comes to me and says, we, we probably need to try and get promoted. So I turn around and say, well, Chris ain't the man to get you promoted. No. So hence, Neil Warnock comes in, yeah. who they, they'd had a good relationship with. Yeah. Right? But Neil yeah. had come in with uh, some, the proviso that he could only stay for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, he needed to go on holiday with his wife a couple of times, mm-hmm. but he could stay for yeah. a period of time. Um, so I said, okay, no problem. Um, what we'll have to do is we'll, we we'll, we'll, look around for a new manager. And that's what we did. We interviewed, yeah. we, we went through the same process and at the time of interview, uh, employing Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, he had the best win ratio of any manager in all the divisions. Mm. At Burton, yeah. He had the best Mm. win ratio, but no one looks at that because when I sat down in in the press conference to do my press conference, the first question was, is are you employing him because he's black? because i have done it with Chris Ramsey, And yeah. I went, well, no, actually, he's got the best win ratio of any man. No, I know. I mean, I like Jimmy. I yeah. mean, I've met Jimmy
1: on a number of occasions. I yeah. think he's very engaging. I think he's a decent bloke. And obviously, I saw his record. I have to ask the question, because the question's there to be asked. Yeah. It's not a formulaic response for me. I don't think you employed them because they were black managers. I just wanted to ask yeah. you, because we've started this conversation, because one of your perceptions in life, and I think you still hold it, is about the lack of opportunities because of ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And it leads me into that. What do you believe is the problem in terms of more black coaches getting into positions? Because you said it at the top of this interview, and I understand the experiences of the 70s, yeah. and your father's influence on your view of the world and racism in football, because it was there. Yeah. And there's still racism today. 100%. Right? We're Right. never going to get rid of racism right. because there's some pig ignorant people in society. Yeah. Given there's a perception there's a challenge to this, and there's not enough black coaches, what do you think needs to be done to get more black coaches in positions, insofar as some it does
0: need to be done. Just uh, at the moment, there's unequal opportunities for for, for black players and former black players right. to, to to get into those positions. Um, you know, I speak to a load of players. You know, yeah, load of former players who would like to go back into coaching, just don't get the opportunity. Would like to go into management, just yep. don't get the opportunity. You know that the counter, our, our counterparts get, and that's that's simple. You have to care about a situation to make change. Okay. It? You know, a little while ago there was this talk about um uh the emergence of a super league. European Super League, yeah. Yeah. And Everyone the noise the yeah. noise that was made around that. Yeah. Players should you know, I, I saw tweets where players should uh rebel and play shouldn't play, they should pack, you know, mm. blah, 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 blah. And I think, well, wow. well, wow, this is just this is because the Super League was mentioned. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about racism, and, and and one thing I talk about is tokenism, and people talking yeah, about yeah. talking about things rather than doing what it yeah. takes to solve a problem. I was on this, the LMA course in Applied Management mm-hmm. when Paul Lynch got the the opportunity to go to to manage Macclesfield, right? And here's someone that's been England captain, captain Manchester United on occasions, yeah. man, man, captain all the teams that he's gone and played for, gone abroad and been successful in Italy. Starts his first, gets his first opportunity at, Mac, at Macclesfield. Why is that different from t- from Teddy Sheringham getting his first opportunity at Stevenage? Because I look at all the the other people around Paul at that level who've gone into much better positions. When I was at I, I was at Tottenham, and I sat down on a table with we a prominent figure in football, mm-hmm. and that person said to me, "If you want to be taken seriously as a manager." Um, you need to find a good non-league club with a, a owner that's got the ambitions of taking this club to up into the leagues and blah, 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 blah. And, and you need to show that you want to be a coach. And I said, I, I totally accept that. Totally accept it. But why do my counterparts not have to do that? Why do they get opportunities in the Premier League and the Championship? They get good opportunities. Yeah. But you're saying to me, I have to go to non-league to prove that I want to be a coach. So just doing my coaching badges is not enough to prove that I want to be a manager. Yeah. I have to go to a non-league club. Do you know what you said to me? Tell me. We need to change our opinions in the boardroom. You're right. We need to change our opinions in the boardroom.
1: But that's an interesting one because I can speak from that position. And I'm not going to tell a black man how he should think and view the world, right? Because I'm not black. You know, my nephew is, but that doesn't mean we can all go out and yeah, say my friends are black so I can relate to it, right? And that's the <laughs> old trope, right? But it's not something I relate to. And i tell you why it's not something to relate to because I was in a boardroom mm-hmm. and I would have employed... Whoever. Didn't matter to me. And I'm surprised that someone would say that, because I don't see Egyptian owners employing Egyptians. The argument is you employ what looks like you, right? And what you know and what you're comfortable with. But I don't see Arabs employing Arabs. And I don't see Egyptians employing Egyptians. I see people going for best in class. So, so that might be it. So I'm going to debate with you about this yeah. for a second, because I had this conversation with John, John Barnes. yeah, And, you know, John... This is his life's work at times, right? <laughs> so you're debating with someone that's very deep in this position. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book that I read because I wanted to have a debate with him. I come from a position of believing that everyone's entitled to an equal opportunity, not an equal outcome. No. Nope. An equal
0: opportunity. So I want to ask you, do, do you believe in quotas? I believe in the right person for the right job. Do you believe in quotas? I believe in the right person for the right job, but that's not the same question. So I, I, I'm saying to you, I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe I should, I should just be get, get a job because I'm black. Right. If I'm qualified for the job, and you've got the talent, and I've got the talent, you should get an opportunity to get feel, the job. I feel, I feel, I feel yeah, should. Be yeah, up. absolutely right. What
1: about the Rooney Rule? Don't believe in it. Why not?
0: Because when um, it worked in America,
1: did it? It didn't work in America. It, work, if you, if well, you, they're saying statistically with the NFL, as a result of the Rooney Rule more and more black coaches manifested themselves into professional, fo- into professional uh, American football. And if you look at it now, it's gone back to what it was before. Right. Because I can't recognise it, which doesn't mean it doesn't exist, and I'm not suggesting that what I'm saying is right, and I'm debating with you in the same way I debated it with John. right? Because I owned Palace for 10 years, a multi-ethnic football club, mm-hmm. in a multi-ethnic environment, with a multi-ethnic supporters base, none of these were, were relevant to me. Mm-hmm. It was simply just a case of who's the best person for the job, right? Who wants the job? Who can I interview? Who can I talk to? Who can impress me? And the conversation I had with John, because John and I were debating about a raft of things. I remember it. Right. And it was a good conversation. And yeah. I came away with it, with a lot of respect for some of the John's points. And I don't believe, Les, this is my belief, and, I, and yeah. I'm very happy to be corrected by your experiences. Having spent time... In most of the boardrooms around the country, with a few exceptions, these guys would employ anybody that's gonna win them games. The supporter base doesn't care. Captains of football teams are now black players and have been for some time in positions of authority and influence. And I know that the argument is they can be the performers, they can but they can't be the impresario. Yes. But why is that? Because it must mean it's racist. It must mean that everything's stacked in a certain way, that racism is prevalent in 92 boardrooms around the country that are going to systematically exclude black talents
0: from being in positions of authority. And it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. It doesn't. But, you know, you said that you've been in loads of boardrooms. Yeah. Where you believe... Okay, let me give you another example. Go on. Okay, so um, you've been in loads of boardrooms and loads of director's boxes yeah so when you sit in a director's box, yeah normally it's not always directors and associate directors that sit in the director's box. You get a lot of directors' friends, yeah and families yeah that sit in the director's box. very rarely, do you see a black person sitting in the director's box unless he's an agent, right so that tells me the chairman the directors don't have much association with black people. So the association with black people, very, very limited. So I know you're you're saying to me, if John Barnes had knocked on your door, you would have given him an interview. Yeah, damn right I would. I speak to a lot of players that continually put their, their resumes, their CVs in for opportunities and don't get the opportunity to even interview and this is these are black people these are black former players these are black yeah. players these are black coaches so, who never so, played so
1: by that logic then saying they're to me they're what, not getting an opportunity the, so what's the blockage
0: then why 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 does this blockage exist i got no idea because this I've, I've got no idea this is this is what we're trying this is what we're trying to understand because the the statistics come out right and they say
1: 43% of players in the premier league are black yes. right But we need to distill that properly because over 50% of those are foreign players that go back to their original countries. So you've not got 43% of the Premier League being people that live in this country past their playing contracts. Mm -hmm. You're down to 21%. But there's only 14% of coaches that are coming through from the statistics I'm told, and Mm -hmm. you may know better, uh, that are are from the black community. 35% of the clubs in the football pyramid have employed black managers. Mm -hmm. They just happen to be Chris Hewton or Poince yeah. or, or, or Jimmy at t- you know, cause he's had two or three clubs. Saul Campbell's had a couple. Saul Campbell's had a couple. Yeah. Um, so I, am always trying to push back at not resisting the idea because I'm not stupid yeah. of the notion that there's racism that plays a part in our society. And of course, if it plays a part in our society, it'll play a part in football. Mm-hmm. But I do worry that it's used as an excuse and I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you a very loaded question here now, which you might not like. The rumour is that when the FA chairman's job came up, that you didn't want to go for the job
0: because you didn't think you'd get it. That's an absolute nonsense. Is it? Absolute nonsense. I was never, ever, ever contacted about the, the, the chairman's job. I was contacted about the director of football role when Dan Ashworth was lo- leaving mm-hmm. um, the, to go to Brighton. Yeah. Um. I was on that FA uh, Talent ID course. Yep. Dan Ashworth said to me, "Les, you should put in for this um, director the the role I'm leaving." So I said, "Really?" And he said, "Yeah." He said, um, "We're looking for someone who's done all their pro license, who, who's done the job before." And he said, "You fit the criteria of exactly what we're looking for." Right. This is Dan Ashworth, who mm-hmm. is the director of football, and was on on the course, was re- leading the course. Mm-hmm. I went and I interviewed for the, the the director of football job. I didn't get the job, but that wasn't that was the only only ever that's the only uh, uh, But isn't time. that
1: the but isn't that what you're campaigning for then? Isn't it about equal
0: opportunity? Yeah, because that's what you've got. Yeah. So you know they asked me to interview. I I, I went on an interview. I didn't get the job, but the, the the talk about the FA director's job, I was never never ever been approached by it. I've never even spoken to anyone about it. Jermaine
1: Defoe recently said, "I'm going to ask you what you would what you'd be saying now." to young black coaches because Jermaine Defoe, he came out and said, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to bother with this because I don't think I'm going to get an opportunity. And I don't like that. Yeah, I don't want to hear that because not because, not because it's easy for a white man to say to a black man, I don't want to hear that. But if nothing changes, nothing changes. Yeah. And
0: that what would you say to someone like Jermaine Defoe when he comes out with that? I know Jermaine well, and I know his frustrations. I know his frustrations. And the question I would, uh, the, you know, if if you want to be a coach, if you want to go into coaching, that's what you should do. Yeah. You know, you should you, do your coaching badges. But I also know the other side of it where people have spent the five, six years and the money on getting their coaches qualifications and then not getting an opportunity. But, you know, Simon, I never go on anyone's show, never go on anyone's podcast. I've never been on anyone's um, TV show, the podcasted. the uh, and said to them, Look, I'm gonna do an interview you're gonna do an interview with me, but I want you to talk about racism. It's always a subject that comes up. Well, of course it
1: does. But you're also but you're also you're also quite vociferous about it because it's a very and it's a hot topic it's a tri- it's a trigger subject the media jump all over it because it gets everybody at it exactly right? exactly you know i want racism out of sport mm-hmm. i want re- i want prejudice out of sport i want discrimination out of it i want people to get a job because they're good enough to get that job and no one to be excluded or
0: being op- given an opportunity to do that job, given an opportunity you know? and and you know you look you, you 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 went through my stats there and you said well you know that doesn't seem like success like without being able to explain mm. the reason why we were But where that's we why were. I asked you. Okay. So yeah. I'm saying, so when I, when I, when I originally got this job and obviously the, 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 yeah. the, the, comments were, you know, do you feel that you need to be successful for the generations that come after you? You know, you're the first black director of football. Yeah. Well, I wasn't the first because Michael Emanello at Chelsea mm, was the yeah, first, yeah. but you're the first British black, um, director of football. Do you need to be successful? And I said, it all depends how you deem success. I said, because what you're saying to me, all the directors of football that have gone into every single club have been successful. That's why they get another opportunity. Mm -hmm. So you're saying if I'm not successful here, if you deem me not to be successful, means I never get another opportunity. Whereas I may have learned a a hell of a lot Mm. at QPR to take into somewhere else that would be advantageous to that club and myself. But you're saying because I'm not successful at QPR, I don't get another opportunity. And that's kind of like... Where where this sits, I'm not I'm not bringing that conversation up. That's what someone's bringing to me. I know I know director of football that have moved from club to club to club, yeah. and then and then they start to have success, and everyone talks about them being a great director of football. See, I wouldn't have framed it that way. though. I
1: think that's a strange mindset to ask you, but and I think that's the wrong. But but, that, but they're that's asking what, you a question
0: because you're black. But that's that's what I'm that's saying bullshit. to you. So what I'm saying to you, Simon, yeah. is those are the kind of questions I get.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, fair enough. So 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 yeah. so then I am looking at it as this is this is about my colour yeah. this is not about me as a director of football this is about my colour so as much as you say you don't see colour no, I, you know, a I, I, lot of I, other people, people do
1: so how does it change Liz? i mean you i mean i've i've always got i think if you take I, I would like to see colour taken out of the equation so that you don't have to make it about colour you should make it about talent and that's why i'm always slight, slightly troubled when i see or we want to set up a black PFA. And- we want to set up black lawyers for footballers. We mm. want to set this, and you're involved in a partnership that does particularly this by very make by
0: making it about colour. Don't you consistently make it about colour? I so, I'll tell you what we used to do at, at, at QPR. We got to a, a point where we would look at CVs for a job, and as you said, the person who's yeah. qualified and the right person for a job. So we we would you have sift, the, Yeah, we'd advertise for a job, and we'd go right. We don't want to look at the names on the CV. Don't look at whether it's a woman, whether it's a man, whether it's uh, black, white, whatever it is. We don't know because if I said to you, Mr. Inch, Mr. Barnes, Mr. Campbell, Mr. Davis, Mr. Mm. You wouldn't know whether they're black or I've used some black black names that you know yeah. as black people. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if I gave you those names on a on a list, you wouldn't know whether they were black or white. Um. So what we used to do was just look at the CVs first and foremost, and say, right, you know what? That's what we're looking for. Then we'd look at the name. Right. So look, we get this person into interview, and if they interview, as you said, if they interview and they interview correctly for the job, they get the job. Whether it's male, female, um, black, white, didn't matter what what colour. We looked at the CV. That CV's right for us. This is this this fits our job description. Now we get them an interview, and so, you know, I always used to get asked, um, you know, QBR, really diverse football club. You know, You know, one. Of you, you're leading light. We want to come and do a piece about you. I said I've employed more Caucasian people than I have mm. black people. Why you want to do an interview with me? Mm. Because we got diverse, diverse. No, we we just employed the right people mm. for the job. Mm. But and you know, and, and you say to you saying that but black people have the agenda they want to talk about it. No, no. I, 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 do, I, I said I, some. No, yes, yeah, some. Some. But I'm, are, I'm saying yeah. it, it. It got put on me more than anything yeah. else in, yeah. in in my role.
1: Mm. No, I understand what you're saying.
0: Do you think it will change, less uh, You know, every year I keep saying, "I hope it does. I hope it does. I hope it does. I hope it does." Does it make you so? Does it make you optimistic, or you, does it make you pessimistic? Makes me pessimistic mm. because we've been talking about this for so many years now. I was brought into a meeting at the at, at the FA at St George's Park when they were talking about this quota um, in terms of representation at every level. Yeah, and I argued that. Can't no, be right no, no, no. That's what I said. Yeah, it can't, it be right. can't be right. You have to have people that are qualified yeah. for the job. And one of the questions I asked, I asked um, who was gonna who was gonna analyze whether that person was a good coach. And they said, and at the time in the meeting, they said, well, obviously uh, the manager and the coaches that are already there. I said, well, who analyzed them when they came in? <laughs> mm. I said because I tell you what's going to happen. The minute you go back and you say this is what we're going to do, we're going to have a quota of uh, black players. Um, or black coaches with each uh section of england um you know from the 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 the, the from the age right down to the 18s or 16s wherever it's gonna be you're gonna have repute- uh, repute- representation, at e- yeah. representation at every level as soon as you do that you're gonna get the eye rollers it's in george's park we'll okay here we go we're doing something for them again and that could be the same person that's gonna 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 mm. critique whether you're a good coach or not so I never thought it was going to work, and I don't think it is working. It's just a, again another token of, uh, of a visual thing of uh, we've you know we've got you know so many black players playing for the the, the country, but we've got no black coaches, we've got no mm. black staff involved in in any of the setup. Now this is not me having a rant. This is just no. We're fact. talking about it. I'm yeah. debating it with you, you know? because I'm 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 pushing you because I've got certain views,
1: and my views. Um, I, I like to debate because mm. I'm very happy to be debunked yeah. and I find those conversations and people are frightened to have them yeah. white people are frightened to have them because if they do that they can be classified as racist yeah. and I'm interested in the debate yeah, because no, I think not. out of debate comes educated thinking yeah. just because people don't agree yeah. doesn't mean you can't walk away from a conversation without people going oh, you know what I learned something or I've got a different view or I'll stay with the same view yeah. you haven't got to walk away going he's a dickhead and he's this and he's yeah. a racist and right. he's whatever I just like to have a debate about these sort of things last one for you what next for you
0: I have to wait and see what opportunities come up. You know, I'd, I'd like to have another go. Um, at what? You know, at, at the direction of football? Would you? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, you know, it, it obviously became really tough, and it's only now I'm realising how stressed I was. Um, I didn't realise if you care about something and you want something to be successful, you give it your absolute all, mm. and that's what I felt I did at QPR. Um, some decisions were taken out of my hand, and I understand that because. I always say we're advisors and all we can do is give advisors yeah, to, to, to the owners of the football it, yeah, club. Yeah, yeah. And if they decide not to take that advice, unfortunately you roll with it and you know, you can you can say, Well, I don't want to be in this anymore. But I, I wanted to stay there because I wanted QBR to be successful, it didn't turn out that way in the end. Um but I think I've learnt a lot. Um, I've seen a lot and I think there's a lot I can add to to someone going in and doing it again. Well, oh, good luck. Thank you. Appreciate Listen, it. Listen, let's enjoyed it very much. Thanks for being so much fun. Thank you for having well done, me. Well done, mate. Cheers.
1: Upfront with me, Simon Jordan, is brought to you by William Hill. Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 18 Plus, please gamble responsibly.